I will be reading from Eugene Peterson's excellent paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. Winds of Change, we had the, old, the King James Version, and now we go to The Message. The first chapter of Acts leaves us with the disciples following Jesus' instructions to wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit. Acts 2, 1 through 15. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. When they heard the sound, they came on a run. Then they heard, one after another, their own mother tongues being spoken. They were thunderstruck. They couldn't for the life of them figure out what was going on and kept saying, Aren't these all Galileans? How come we're hearing them talk in our various mother tongues? Corinthian, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phygeria and Philatia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our language describing God's mighty works. Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? Others joked, they're drunk on cheap wine. That's when Peter stood up and, backed up by the other eleven, spoke out with bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. The word of the Lord. Two years ago, as I was ending my seminary career at the end of May, I finally found some time for some much-needed exercise at the Louisville JCC. That's a Jewish community center where I was a member. Upon arriving, I noticed big signs all over that they would be closing that evening at 6 p.m. and then for two whole days following. Wow, how inconvenient, I thought. But at least I had arrived on time. But still, I thought, what poor timing. The summer season was just starting. Couldn't they at least have found a better time to clean the pool and facilities? Wrong. They weren't closing for cleansing, but for Shabbat. Shabbat? What is that again, I wondered, as I tried to remember my Old Testament lessons from three years earlier. About an hour later, leaving the JCC, I grabbed a brochure on Shabbat and headed home to my Old Testament notes and the internet to bring it all together for myself on how the Jewish festival of Shabbat, also known as Pentecost, fits together with the Christian celebration of Pentecost that was coming that very Sunday. 
And I couldn't shake the thought that Jesus would have practiced Shabbat too, as well as the whole early church. What actually gives here, I wondered. Well, let's take a look. Remember that Christ was crucified and rose within the festival of Passover, which took place and still does in the springtime of planting and birthing. But Passover is also the remembrance and celebration of the Old Testament's exodus, where God delivered the Israelites from Pharaoh, from slavery into freedom. That Christ was crucified and rose within this festival, celebrating God's justice, mercy, and deliverance is significant. Fifty days later comes Shavat, or Pentecost, Penta for five. This is a festival to celebrate the first harvest of wheat and to remember Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai following the exodus from Egypt. Now, for Judeans, it was just as important as Passover. And just like Passover, Jews traveled from around the ancient Near East to reach Jerusalem for Pentecost to offer the required first fruits of the harvest and to celebrate and remember when Moses went up on the fiery mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. This story wants us to connect the dots from Easter to Passover, from from Passover and then to Pentecost to the first harvest, from Easter and Passover, from Pentecost to the first harvest, Shabbat. Easter concentrates on Jesus. Pentecost focuses on the disciples and followers to what happens to these new Easter people who experience the power of resurrection through the power of the Holy Spirit. In the story of Acts, the Holy Spirit arrives at a time of new beginnings full of blessings and promise. Pentecost becomes and is the fulfillment of Christ's message that he, Christ, is the fulfillment of the law. The story of Pentecost demonstrates the fulfillments of all the prophets and God's faithfulness in all of God's covenants and that God's love through Christ is not just for the Judeans, but for everyone. In fact, at the end of Acts 2, we're told 3,000 people joined the church. Whoa, a megachurch. Yes, without a doubt, there's some hyperbole there, even enlisting some of the languages and countries that are no longer in existence at that time. Yet I think it's fascinating and helpful to remember that Acts 2 begins with when the Feast of Pentecost came. Pentecost is already part of the Judean liturgy, not a Christian adventure. It's part of their rhythms of life. It is helpful to realize the rhythms of the early church and to recognize that Pentecost held a similar status as Easter. Today, Pentecost signals us to reevaluate ourselves on this day of new beginnings, to ask and think about what can happen to us as individuals and as a community, to contemplate what we're being called to do with our knowledge of Christ, and if and how we're willing to trust the guidance of the Holy Spirit. 
The point of the Pentecost story really isn't the pyrotechnics, the fire and special effects, although they are intriguing. Some of you are probably more familiar with how our Pew Bibles, the NRSV reads, divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Now, I read from the message, which more accurately translates the Greek. Without a warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wild fire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages. As a child, I always wondered how the heads and hair didn't burn up and everything else. To me, that was the miracle, more so than people talking in different languages. Heck, I knew a lot of people who spoke other languages, but no one who had a flame of fire on their head. But instead of focusing on whether or not how much of this factually transpired, the story is meant to point us to the spiritual transformation that the resurrected Christ brings us through the power of the Holy Spirit, a spirit that arrives with a sound like a rush of violent wind. Interestingly, the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, means both wind and spirit. And some of you are familiar with Rob Bell's videos. He uses the phonetic spelling pneuma, Wind and Spirit, for his popular and excellent video series. And the original Greek indicates that the sound of these numerous languages are like divided tongues of fire resting on each person, clearly indicating it isn't a real fire, but the presence of God. In fact, this is the same kind of language or description used over and over again in the Old Testament to describe the arrival of God's presence as being found in wind and fire. And in this story, it is especially reminiscent of when Moses receives the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, where both the wind and the smoking, fiery mountain are present. Pentecost follows the promise in the Gospel of Luke, where John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. Key words meaning with the power of God. We don't know exactly what happened in that upper room that obviously flowed out into the streets of Jerusalem and astonished the people. But we do know that there is an outpouring of the Spirit that is new, a new harvest, winds of change, People were able to hear and understand God's mighty deeds about Jesus Christ in their own languages or in a way that made sense to them. Something clicked. Something was authentic that allowed people to realize who Jesus was and is for themselves and for their faith communities. The power of the Spirit was given to the disciples in such a way that they were able to share the good news so that it deeply moved people to follow Christ. And they trusted that spirit. And, as is always the case, some took it to heart, others scoffed. 
but the church continued to grow. The arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is the power that enabled the church to go public with its good news for everyone, not just the Judeans. This is huge winds of change. So what do we do with this story today? It's easy to look at this story as something magical with the sound of wind, the fire, and there is that miraculous ability of the disciples to speak in the various languages. It's so easy to say that was then and this is now, and things like that don't happen. Ah, contraire, not so. Today, as Christians, we are also called to think about who Christ is for us and to proclaim Christ works in love in a way that makes sense to people, in a real and authentic way, just as the disciples did. Just as the early Christians needed verification that God is faithful, people today ask the same thing. They and we ourselves want to know how God is real and that Jesus Christ does make a difference. Yes, the story makes it clear that we, the body of Christ, are called to proclaim this message to a hungry world and that we can actually be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit in doing so and in our lives. William Willimont, the former chaplain at Duke Divinity School, says sometimes this story of Pentecost gives the church hope, and sometimes this story has judged the church and found it wanting. We are prompted to ask, is our proclamation found wanting? Do we witness the power of God, of Christ in our lives? Can we tell the story of our faith in a way that is authentic, real, and makes sense to others? Are we open enough to allow the Holy Spirit to move within us? In Acts, the good news is proclaimed in the specific language and culture of those to whom it is addressed. Are we able to share our relationship with Christ in our culture with words that people can understand? Can we speak and listen from the heart? Directly after seminary, I worked with a very small church that was down to 20 members in southern Indiana that was trying to discern how to redevelop, to begin to grow again. Part of that process was getting together with a committed group each Wednesday night, the session of six people. And each time we got together, we began by sharing something about our faith. On various weeks, we shared why Jesus is important to us, why the church is important to us, why it might be important to others. We shared various times we've experienced the wonders and presence of our triune God. At first, some were hesitant, but as the Spirit took hold, all shared, and it was exhilarating. You see, I think too many of us tend to think of Christianity as a private matter. The story of Pentecost challenges this. Too often we think of Christianity as an intellectual process. Pentecost 
challenges this. Faith involves our relationship and trust with our triune God. Pentecost challenges us to share an authentic faith. Pentecost challenges us to share our knowledge of Christ who cares about the least of them and calls us to make a difference in God's world, to usher in the kingdom of God. Pentecost challenges us to trust in the Holy Spirit, to change our lives into the ways of Christ, to change our lives and communities in new ways of where the Holy Spirit is calling us, winds of change. Pentecost ends the Easter season. At Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. Pentecost asks us to live it and share it. This summer, when you are out walking, perhaps in the woods or by the river or sitting on the beach, may the winds that rustle through the tall trees and the winds that make the waves on the water and fill the sails of the boats, may that wind be a reminder to you of the Holy Spirit. When you are sitting around campfires with friends or lighting candles and torches on your front porches or backyards, may these brightly burning and dancing flames remind you of the power of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. May the wind and fire that you encounter be powerful signs of the Holy Spirit that is ready to guide you through life and to help you share the stories of Christ's presence in our lives with our spouses, children, grandchildren, and friends, and whoever God may put in your path. May each of us be open to the power and new harvest of the Spirit that may be calling us in new directions. Winds of change, may it be so. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord God, may we recognize the wind that you send into our lives as individuals and as a community. May we see your spirit, your flame burning brightly, guiding us, calling us to be your people and lead other people in the way of Christ. Amen.